This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, it's Michael McMillan, and uh, this week our guest is Rachel Bloom, so we're jumping back to finish up our five-part Crazy Ex-Girlfriend series that we started in January. Uh, And I'm really excited this episode got pretty deep pretty quick, so uh, stay with us, have fun, and get ready for a new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm your host, Michael McMillan, and with me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And we have Riley Bray, our sound engineer, with us as always. Wave to the people. Woohoo! Yay, Riley. Uh, this is part five of our Crazy Ex-Girlfriend crossover month. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We have a very special treat for you because we have the star and creator and, or co-creator, co-executive producer, co-songwriter. Name it. She does it on this show. The one and only super talented. You might know her as Rebecca Bunch. This is Rachel Bloom. Give it up. Yay. Hi. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited. Also, viewers viewers at home, listeners, you can't, this room is impossibly cool. Yeah, right? This is why I was like, this is our clubhouse. This is a really, really cool room. (laughs) And like, I feel. Talk about it. Tell them. Well, okay. Look, there's a Bradbury book right there on the shelf. Where? Look at that. Oh, oh, that's the giant Bradbury stories one. Very nice. Rachel infamously wrote a song. I would say. It's famously, yeah, famously. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's the it's the perfect mix of famous and infamous. Yeah, it's called "Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury." It is. Oh, yeah. There's a video out. It's great. This is, well, there's that a was video one of out. These, Check it out. I'm going to. It's uh, one of the things that puts you on the map, right? It's the thing. Really? The if thing. it weren't okay. for that video, I'd be dead. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I you're off it. the map completely. <laughs> <laughs> You've been removed from this plane of no, reality. No, it was the thing that got me the thing with the thing. Okay, That's so this so room. There's a wall of guitars. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's thirteen guitars. Yeah. So you have I've obviously thirteen. No, there's oh my god, there's a there's a double guitar. Yep. So that's for the Siamese twin friends that you have. Yeah. Very cool. oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have thirteen friends. The Siamese brothers come over or sisters, and they I think all it's jam. Called conjoined twins. You're right. You know what? You're right. Start it over. <laughs> oh God. There are going to be so many blogs about this. Oh no. God. Upset okay. a lot of people. Upset. All right. Rachel, so, time's yes. up. Let's talk about Hashtag it. Hashtag time's up, Rach. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I support that, but I, I support that, but I don't. Uh, it's okay. Listen, <laughs> we, uh, we make mistakes. We're only human. It's not that big of a deal anyway. We're okay. You know, uh, we have a, <laughs> I was about to say, uh, we had a guest once say that uh, Hitler agrees with me on this. <laughs> so you're okay. You let me, heard let that. Me, let me tell you. Although she segued quite well. <laughs> let me tell you the one time I've agreed with Hitler. And this is on the record. I don't care. I Great. love it. We were watching the movie Downfall, and which is this 
German movie about the downfall of Hitler in the last days of Hitler's life. And there's this moment, it's all in Hitler's bunker, and someone comes in to tell Hitler about a battle. And I can't remember the specifics, but Hitler's like, oh, by the way, General fucking Jew killer, how did the, because that's, I don't know, that's all the other, all their names sound to me. How did the battle go? And they're like, oh, we didn't tell you that uh, the general actually, like, backed out. Uh, so we actually didn't do that battle. <laughs> and Hitler literally, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Hitler goes, wait a second. So if I hadn't asked about that battle, no one would have ever told me. <laughs> That's so great. That that battle didn't happen. And that is being a boss. Yeah. <laughs> and in that one moment, I was like, you know what, Hitler? I totally feel you. That's right. actually really frustrating. Surrounded by incompetence. <laughs> You're just like, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Like you wouldn't have. So, oh, so I had to ask. Great. Great. What else aren't you telling me? Yeah, what, okay, what else? <laughs> and then, like, a second later, he's like, ah, oh, but at least the Jews are dying. And I'm like, and they're, I'm back. Nah, I'm, I'm back. back. I yeah. hate you. Uh, oh, my God. Well, uh, Rachel, we're so happy to have you here. And <laughs> we want to know if you have any personal history with the paranormal. I have a complex history with this, so I'll just Great. go through it and you can edit Many it. Many of us do. Edit it out. No. And just... As, you, as you've just discovered, we don't edit anything out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, how do I begin? So, I grew up with my dad telling me our house was haunted. Great. And he was like, oh, the second we moved into our house, we would hear stuff at night. And this is partially because the woman who lived in our house before our house was built in the early 80s, and the woman who lived in it before died in, I think, my parents' bedroom. And this is in Manhattan Beach, Manhattan California. Beach, California. And her name was Mary, and when we moved into the house, she had all of these giant crucifixes up in every room. And in my, like, childhood bedroom, there was an especially big crucifix that my parents, like, you know, pried off the wall. <laughs> to imagine they pried off the wall and they heard a shrieking because sound. No, you're not, your family's Jewish and you hate Christians. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hate and them. And you killed Jesus. Right, right, right. Well, so <laughs> yeah. I actively killed Jesus, and it yes. was, here's the thing about it. It was really fun. <laughs> um... It's like my favorite, it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. Great. Um, no, so, so, well, it was the type of thing where like, you know, you're, we're, we were like secular Jews and so it was the type of thing. And this is, you'll see a running theme where we're Jewish in like name and culture, but not enough. We just didn't want crucifixes up right. in our house. But right? you would put up a Christmas tree. No, we didn't do that. Really? No, because that's a little far. Okay. What about the Jews for Jesus? Well, that's not. They're not Jews. They're, oh, okay. they're Christians. Okay, got it. <laughs> Jews for Jesus is Christianity. Just good branding. Right. Basically, that basically, <laughs> it's just calling it what it is. Right. Um, it's. I think it's Jews who still adhere to the original, like, keeping kosher and stuff, but they believe that Jesus was the savior of the right. Jewish people. Which is so. It's Christianity. Without any of the perks of Christianity, which is you don't have to get circumcised and eat kosher anymore, which is why Christianity spread. Anyway, mm. so I was raised a secular Jew. Uh, my dad told me, oh, my God, I'm a little hoarse today, so I'm going to be like... You sound like a velvet porter yeah, and cream. Great. Really? Yeah. The other, usually it's the other way around, but usually you pour cream on velvet if you're going to do anything. That's the pourable item of the two things do I you just... pour cream on velvet? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Every night. The phrase, oh, velvet poured on cream. Yeah, yeah, that makes no sense. It makes no sense, but maybe there's a puddle of cream, and I'm just pouring a little velvet out of a, sh of a little cup onto it. That's how you sound right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me start at the beginning. Okay. So my dad told me our house was haunted. This woman died in our house. Um, 
at night, I would like sometimes hear sounds, but like it was the house settling. Now, when I was a kid, this is actually before this predates being told our house was haunted. I had this thing, which I now know is called sleep hypnagogia. I think it's that's how it's pronounced, where I would wake up from a dream and I would still see images of the dream in front of my face. Yeah, me too. Just like ghosts. This happens to me too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I thought of that as a kid, but I never registered like this might be ghosts because it was very clearly my dream in front of my face. Like I remember one time having a nightmare about the little uh, Ursula and the Little Mermaid. And for an hour, I could see Ursula's face in front of my face. But it was it was the way that people describe seeing ghosts, like see through an image in front of your face happening when you wake up. So that was the way it was for years. And I gradually started to get more and more afraid of the dark. This was compounded by also a fear of earthquakes because I lived in L.A. during the Northridge. And then shortly after, we went to Universal Studios Florida and went on the earthquake ride. And I asked my dad if that could happen where we lived and he was like oh it absolutely could (laughs) but you won't be having fun no no no. my dad didn't like to sugarcoat things to the point of um it being pathological so i grew up like kind of afraid of the dark kind of being afraid of ghosts and then when i was 14 um my friends so i grew up in this southern california beach community it was mostly christians there were some jews but honestly, we didn't talk about it that much. Like, there were local churches. One of my best friends went to this church, Trinity Lutheran Church, and, like, I would go see her in performances. And it just wasn't a thing. And around high school, my friends all started to try to get me to come sing with their church youth group. And I was like, oh, they just want me to come sing. And my mom was like, no, you're not going to a church. They're going to try to convert you. Because no mm. matter how secular you are as a Jew, you're very aware of Christian people, like, trying to convert you. It's like you. the Christians and the gays. It's like the Christians. Everyone thinks the other one's got an agenda. (laughs) Which, in this case, my mother was right. Because I was AOL instant messaging with one of the guys. I was like, yeah, I I mean, my mom, like, won't let me go to the youth group because she thinks you guys are, like, trying to convert me. Silence. (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Are you? And he went, all right, I'm going to be real with you, Rachel. You're such a good person. And it breaks my heart that you're going to hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that was the first time, this sounds so stupid, I knew that's what Christian people believed. Not I didn't. Well, no, 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 I know. I was like, raised Presbyterian. We did not buy, at least in my household, did not subscribe to that. So, but this was like a, I didn't realize that. I, I just kind of, I knew Christians believed in hell, but I didn't think they thought I was going to hell. And I started polling other friends of mine who went to church and they and I was like, is this true? And they were like, yeah. Yeah, we hate to see you go. They were like, yeah. Like, I remember asking my friend Paul. That was his I name. Mean, if you're going to ask anybody, ask, ask Paul. Paul. I was like, do you think I'm going to hell? And he was like, yeah, I, I do. And so it caused this crisis because it's not like I was so faithful to Judaism that I was like, no, I'm Jewish. I just kind of didn't. I was more like vaguely spiritual. Like I would check my astrology you, readings. You and were just, this is not what a uh, anxious child wants to hear. No, no. And I relate to you, your stuff talking about growing up. I was like, oh, this sounds a lot like me and just like my base level of anxiety, which went towards uh, obviously the paranormal mm-hmm. when I was like that stuff really sparked my imagination and stuff like, you know, so what it, bad things might happen to me. So exactly. And I, and for years, something else, another layer to add onto this, I had been fascinated with the paranormal for years. When I was eight years old, 
my grandparents got me a book called Mysteries of the Unexplained, which is kind of this like classic. Yeah, I found out paranormal. We've book. had it on the show. It's mm-hmm. great. It's great. So I got. We've it had it as a guest. <laughs> yeah, he's he's oh, the book's yeah. been, on the yeah, been on the show. Great it's just great a guest. book flapping. It's, it's little... funny because in his personal paranormal history, he talked about that brief like two week period where you and him were talking a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So my grandparents got me that book because I liked, you know, like around the time I started liking sci-fi too, it was like I was really into paranormal stuff. And so I started getting really into ghosts. Oh, I was reading a lot of Lois Lowry books. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found out about astral projection. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're a kid and read Lois Lowry, you know what I'm talking about. So I already kind of, you know, it's, I mean, we've talked about this, Michael, like it's imaginative worlds. Like it combines with a love of the paranormal and the mysteries of the unexplained. Yeah. So I already knew a lot about ghosts and aliens and stuff. And then my friend says, you're going to hell. And in my head, I said to myself, okay, wait, this guy thinks I'm going to hell. A lot of people on earth think this. Like Christianity is real popular. (laughs) And according to like popular belief, ghosts are people who are around the earth before they pass on to heaven. Wait, if ghosts are real... Heaven is real, which means hell, which means hell is real, which means they're right. I'm Jewish and I'm going to hell. Mm. And so for a period of a couple years, I became fixated on this fear. And I actually really considered converting to Christianity. This was wow. also helped by the fact that I fell madly in love with a guy who was a year or two older who was homeschooled because his parents were so Christian. Mm. And so he was an active Christian and like in my, so my, the crush started to combine with this fear and I began to get more and more afraid of the dark because I was convinced if I saw a ghost, it would mean that it would mean I was going to hell. Yeah. Like if I saw a ghost, basically it meant that I had to believe in Jesus. It's so weird how kids come up with these, rules for themselves but that's and anxi- the universe. It's anxiety. And yeah. that's also, I mean, anxiety and OCD are very tied. And I had OCD as a kid and, you know, still have certain elements of it. And- you're, but you're, you're totally right. Uh, I mean, uh, I was just about to say, I remember one year I was probably, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade. It was around the time Monster Squad was a big movie. And I had decided that for no reason I had just convinced myself that that year at Halloween at midnight, the devil was going to show up in my bedroom. Right. And I just, I, I don't know where that idea came from. It wasn't told. It was some rule that my kid, anxious kid brain came up with. And that entire month, I was just like counting down oh. the days until I was going to see the devil. And I remember going to bed at midnight that night or going to bed that night on Halloween and just like having all the lights on and just shaking and shaking and then like yeah. dozing off and then seeing like my t-shirt hanging over a chair and be like, oh, it's one of the it's one of the vampire brides. The devil's right. coming. And I'm like, oh, it's just my t-shirt. And then nothing happened. And I was like, oh, okay. But you know what? You probably and don't. you just e- forgot. Yeah. And then just, but had tortured myself. You probably yeah. don't even realize month. the change that had taken place within you within that month. I mean, there's such a cathartic process that we go through to inhabit our mythology or what we like to believe. I had a very similar um, story, and I mentioned this on the show when I was just a young boy. You know, I grew up in a Lutheran school, and my father was a stout atheist, and I'd spend the summers with him, and I'd spend uh, my winters in Lutheran schooling. And whenever summer would start, my father would uh, undoctrinate me. He'd be like, what, well, what are they teaching you over there, you know? And I'm like, well, they're teaching me this, and a lot like you said, you don't believe, you go to hell, and, and la-di-da-di-da. And I remember um, being really 
torn up about it. And I mean, as a kid, like sick, like torn up about mm-hmm. it. And I remember sitting on my father's lap and, and crying, surprised what's wrong. And I said, dad, I just, I, I don't, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell, mm. you know? And he said, he said, Bryce, he said, I'm a nice guy, right? I said, yeah, dad, I love you so much. He said, if you were God, would you send me to hell? And I went, no. And I took the power back and I broke down my own paradigm because I took the power of God right from him. And I said, no, if I was God, I wouldn't let you. And so then I, and then, and it started my whole world for me and it, and it broke down everything I needed to break down. And it was really an opening doorway for me to start my lifelong journey of, of, of looking for spiritual truths. And I think it's so important, you know, for, for kids to have these catharsis or, or, to, or to run up against wh- what their parents are teaching them and say, hey, that doesn't vibe with me. Or some of it does. And, and what's happening here? What the fuck are you teaching me? You know? Um, I don't know if I, where this is going, but, but I know what you're talking about. And I think, I think it's, I think, I think we all need to break that, have that, have that feeling of like our world is going to end so that, that we can begin again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I wish, I wish that moment had been as cathartic as like what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, well, let me start. I'm trying to sum up, let me sum up the rest of the, so, 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 but, but I did have that moment of catharsis, but it happened way later. So. So, so summing it up, uh, all right, so... So you're right, talking to this I, boy, afraid of the dark, you have a crush the on him, you're thinking about converting. Scared of ghosts, yeah. Scared of ghosts. I go yeah, into college, I go, I go into college still scared, I go into my freshman year, I become fixated on other things, I forget about ghosts. That next summer I become, I go, I'm a, I become a summer counselor at Idlewild Arts Camp, which is like the interlock in yeah. the West, West yep. Coast. Yep. I mean, and I'd been hearing... Not as good, but... Not as good. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I got inter- interlock in summer camp, and I couldn't go because the summer before college, I had swollen vocal folds. Oh. Um, which is why I'm still to this day very in my head when I'm hoarse, freaking out. Even just it. days like this when I've just been drinking too much. You're like, oh, I'm no. not going to go to summer camp next year. Exactly. This is horrible. <laughs> well, guess I can't go to interlock and in there's again. There's a ghost. Okay, going to hell. Oh God! Well, there goes my audition tape. <laughs> so I'm working at Idlewild, and I'm hearing all these ghost stories. And I, we did this one night where we made a haunted house for the kids and I played Bloody Mary and I had to hang out in a bathroom in the middle of the woods because there's all these little cabins in the middle of the woods with like piano practice rooms. It's amazing. And I had to hang out in a girl's bathroom in the middle of the woods and be alone for like (laughs) 30 minutes at a time as Bloody Mary. And then the kids would come in and I would run out as Bloody Mary and scare them. It was amazing. And I'm like in, I'm like sitting on a toilet behind a stall with blood all over my face. And I'm like, do 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 do. And the sun starts to set. And I'm like, oh, right. I'm really afraid of the dark and ghosts. And like, I literally have an ang- anxious crisis that night. Yeah. Every time there aren't kids around, I'm just sitting there in the dark, convinced oh, I'm going to see a ghost. And the whole rest of the summer, I like, I was like afraid, afraid, afraid. It culminated in my grandmother died that summer. Wow. So I go to her funeral, I come back, I'm sitting in this like dance studio and the whole summer I've been thinking about ghosts and I'm like, all right, if there's any time I'm going to just like embrace the afterlife and not be scared, it's now. And I remember like saying like, grandma, are you there? And nothing happened. (laughs) Like nothing happened. Yeah. So 
All right, so that Was happened. Was that a light bulb moment? Eh, no. So the so here's the thing. So the light bulb moment for me came in two phases. <laughs> and again, feel free to edit this. I was in college. I went on a school trip to South Africa where we immersed ourselves in the history of apartheid. We went to Robben Island where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned. The person who gave us a tour of Robben Island was a former prisoner of Robben Island. And I remember I had been reading, so I'd already been on this track. I'd been reading Richard Dawkins' uh, Letting Go of God. No, no, The God Delusion, Mm -hmm. where he talks about Julia Sweeney's play, Letting Go of God. And she talks about that moment where she became an atheist. And she was like, what if there was nothing? Or like, what if I didn't have that like, I remember it as a cushion. That's how I think of it. She's like, what if I'm just kind of alone? And she talked about the fear. And I remember being in this classroom in South Africa, watching another documentary about apartheid and being like, wait a second, all these horrible things have happened. What if there's no God? And like in that moment, I became an atheist. And it gave me a level of like getting on my shit and certainty that changed my life because up until then I'd been in this space of oh, maybe I should be Christian, but I'm not really Jewish. But also, okay, maybe I'm going to read my horoscope because is that real? And like, it was just this, I was like guideless. Like I didn't have a, I mean, yeah, it, it was, forces you to to rely on yourself it, to make your own decisions. You don't whole, leave yes. things up to fate or God or, and you know, I'm just saying, I, that makes sense to me what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. saying that works for everybody, but that makes sense. You define your own terms. That's how it felt to me. And suddenly it made me a better person. Because I began to take more responsibility for my actions. I began to say, okay, well, when I fuck up, what if it isn't part of, like, God's plan that I was an asshole? What if I was just a fucking asshole and I need to apologize? Yes, exactly. And so it made me much better of a person. And then I began to think about all the other times that I'd been, I don't know, afraid of spirituality and been like, should I convert to, you know, Christianity because I'm afraid of something judging me? It's like, well, what if I'm my own judge? What if I don't have to be scared? What if I'm judging myself and then I looked at back in all the times in high school when I was in love with that guy and I look at my horoscope and I thought oh um I'm an Aries he's a Sagittarius and it says that this month is it's gonna happen you know there mm-hmm. there are all these all these magazines for women and girls with these horoscopes where some people use that to plan their lives and there was this thing online where I'd look up this thing called biorhythms where you literally put in your birth date and you put in the other person's birth date and you'd see where your biorhythm synced up. And to me, it all just combined into, I was giving up responsibility for my own life mm-hmm. to not a higher power that, that kind of complements it to, but to an unknown, to, man. An, un, to, to more, the unknown. Yeah. Just you're, you're using, you're looking to use a map that only gets you more lost. Yes, that's oh my god, that's such a good, that's such a great way to say it. And the second I just was like, okay, for all practical purposes, I'm going to pretend there's no more cushion. I'm going to pretend that my life is mine. I'm going to pretend that there isn't some sort of fate I'm following and like it kicked my ass and kind of got me where I am today. It made me so much better of a person. And then so I did this video, Fuck Me Ray Bradbury, because I still remained really into sci-fi. And, and, and I'm a very much still a, like a sci-fi fantasy novice. I would not call myself a sci-fi nerd. I am not knowledgeable enough to claim that title. Um, and, I, and I don't like it when people say, like, I'm a nerd, and then they clearly don't know enough. So I don't want to be that person, which is also a very female thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But as I, I released this video and I got to know more people in the sci-fi community, which also overlapped with people in the kind of magic slash skeptic community. And I began to get to know more skeptics. And it overlapped with my realization that I'd had about God a couple years before. And looking back on a lot of the things that I loved as a kid, ghosts, aliens, and, and I'd kind of just written that stuff off and been like, well, that's not true anymore. And what I found through skepticism was a way to get back into that stuff Excellent. with a scientific mind. Yep. I mean, because the thing that I still... Part of my realization of atheism, and, and what I like to call myself now is I call myself a practical atheist, where like I live my life as if my life is mine to live, and a theoretical agnostic, meaning that I'm open to anything. Sure. I, I know nothing about the universe. Yeah. We know nothing about the universe. There very well might be a moral ruling of the overall universe, but I, I don't think it has much to do with how I live my life. Well, my, my dad played it the same way, like insurance. Hey, if it's there when I die, great. And if it's not, I won't know it anyway. I win. You know, it's like, what an attitude, you know? It's kind of like that. And, and I think at this point, if I died and went to hell for not believing in Jesus, I'd be like, wait, really? <laughs> wait. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I understand that I had many opportunities to convert. Right. So I, I guess I belong here, but time out. Time really? out. Really? <laughs> that was the thing? I. This is where... I com I mean, not this is where I completely agree with you. I agree with you on so much of this stuff, but that takes me back to your father's comment, Bryce, which is like, hey, I'm a nice guy. If you were God, would you send me to hell? It, that's how I kind of tend to think about things. And if I were like, oh, wait, you did send me to hell? I would be like, well, you're a fucking asshole, and I, you're not my I'm God. on this side of things anyway. Yeah. You know, because that's not cool. Yeah. What... I don't know any parent, I don't know any parent, I mean, unless they are psychotic, who would, who loves their child, who would look at their child and go, yeah, but I'm going to damn you to hell for the rest of my life. It's unconditional love. That's the point. It happens all the time. And if there is a God, I think this God loves us I unconditionally. Well, that's what they preach. Or, or they are indifferent to the point that they're not going to then judge and pick and choose by the end of the day who's going to go. It's like you're either all in mm -hmm. through indifference or through unconditional universal love. Um, and if you're if you actually are that judgmental of an asshole, then this system is is uh, rigged to begin with, and we're all fucked. Yeah. And by the way, I've been. I just want to say I've been saying Christianity a lot because that was the one that felt That's very, framework, very right. consequence yeah, yeah, yeah. based. The 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 Old Testament is the one where God is, is yeah, fucking. Yeah, it's true. It works with Judaism, and, and, Islam, Catholicism. But I just want to say I'm throwing my own people under the bus just a little bit because I can do that. Yep. Um, that fear. I mean, I I remember being at a Shabbat dinner with someone who was, um, I think modern Orthodox, and we were talking about religion. And he goes, we were talking about keeping kosher. He goes, do you think I keep kosher because I think God loves me? And because I want to be closer? No. I do it because I'm fucking scared shitless. Right. Have you read the fucking Bible? Right. That God is fucking scary. And I don't even... Maybe he didn't say fuck because he was modern orthodox. But that fear, that almost OCD-like fear yeah. is very palpable in when you are faithful to Judaism. And that OCD fear... It care. I mean, God, we could talk about Judaism and anxiety for years at this point, but I think oh, that, that I, thought, I wait, but save it for next week for our new. Sh you and I are doing that show, the Jewcast, <laughs> the Jew right? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be one Christian, one Jew, one Christian, just... one atheist Jew who wasn't bar mitzvah. <laughs> but people, no one likes it. I mean, no, I'm a it, pretty this, last. This podcast Christian is myself. for no one. <laughs> no one. Let's do a podcast that we managed to just 
piss everyone off. I think we're making it <laughs> that's right very, now. That's very true. <laughs> <clears throat> to add to what you're saying, and I think I think when we reclaim our fear, you know what I mean, and, and we take control over it, I mean, I, I think then it allows for us to to grow and to ask some deep questions that that are way more satiating than just what uh, the old old religions are offering us, I think. And I think a lot of people are tuning into this now. I, th- I think a, a lot of people are finding that the answers aren't where they thought they where they're, they're told they are. You know, we need to look inward. So Rachel, now. Right, right. Is there any experience that you could have or you've had that makes you still go, huh? Uh, not yet. I mean, here's the thing. I'm really open to it. I want to believe. Um, but what I've learned about scientists, you know, I think that there's this, this belief, well, well, just to say, just to wrap up, Mm -hmm. wrap Mm -hmm. up, but part of the slight contempt I have for people who believe in, right, right, right. This right. Slight contempt for he, for people. And I'm talking about people who believe in kind of woo, no matter what it is is that it reminds me of the things that I left when mm-hmm. I became an atheist, this this reliant on anything other than myself. It was like a kind of, I don't know where I'm going to go, so I'm just going to follow this thing because maybe that'll be the answer. And it reminded me of that wishy-washiness in myself. And it's why I really, really resent that every woman's magazine has horoscopes in the back yeah. because I think it preys upon women and teaches you know Guns us... and Ammo has an astrology section, right? <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> but it teaches us to... I think that women in some ways are led to rely too much on intuition and to, you know, um, say, well, no, no, logic is that's the other part of your brain. And I think that women are tricked both internally and externally to not use their brains to take control of their fate. And I think that horoscopes in the back of women's magazines is just one example of uh, internalized misogyny is the wrong word. I don't know what it is, but it's just this encouragement of wishy-washy idiocy that you sometimes see with the way women treat each other, with the way things are marketed to women. Do you hear that right now? Yeah, that's a paranormal police stopping yeah, right. to come arrest you. <laughs> but 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 I guess so. That's that's what I'm saying is all this stuff is wrapped up in my own belief. So now I'm at the point where so just the other we were in Sedona and we went on a um, night vision goggle tour, and we had these infrared goggles on. We saw a huge glow behind what, a mountain. What were you doing on an infrared goggle so, tour? Looking for animals. Okay, okay. But I, I'm open to seeing aliens. I yeah. mean, no one wants aliens to Can we go visit. back to the huge glow behind the mountain? Sure. So we have these infrared goggles on. We see a huge pulsing glow behind a mountain. The guy says there's a military base over by the mountain. He goes, oh, there's a military base over there. We take off our goggles. No glow. Put the goggles back, back on. There's a glow. So I text my friend, who knows about these things. I was like, hey, I saw an infrared pulse. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's actually very common with high-powered security systems. Like, that would be found in a military base. And so even that, just like Who that... Who is this badass friend of yours? Well, so I know this guy. I first met him. His name's Brian Dunning, and he has a podcast called Skeptoid. And he was one of the first people I met in the skeptic community, and he's very nice. Um, I, he's not one of those skeptics that's like... And, and this is where it overlaps with the atheist community. The atheist skeptic community, it's very... There's a toxic masculinity to it mm-hmm. that's quite noxious. He's not one of those people. And so I asked him about this, and he was like, oh, no, no, that's, you know, infrared pulses happen for many, many, many reasons. And then I was in the car on this trip, and I was listening to 
your episode, I think, with Pete, where you talked about Bigfoot. Was it the first yeah, episode? Yeah, episode one. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the Skeptoid podcast and I listened to the two episodes he has on Bigfoot. And it's not debunking as much as just looking at all of the evidence at Absolutely. hand. And I, I'm not an expert, so I recommend just listening to his podcast. But basically, um, I'm intrigued, is his yeah. name Bob Patterson? Pat- uh, Bob Gimlin and Robert Patterson. Oh, Robert, Robert, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> no. Robert no, Pattinson. From oh, wait. Tra- stop. Are you sure? <laughs> basically, if you do a lot of research into Robert Patterson's life, uh-huh. he had been... Um, he he got the the thing he filmed the film with was equipment that he had rented. Yes, he was looking to make a documentary about, about Bigfoot. Bigfoot. That's absolutely right. And he hired Bob Gimlin as a guide, as a Native American guide, um, to capture part of his documentary. Now, maybe they don't tell you this on Skeptoid, but uh, obviously he didn't get anything on that first documentary try. Right. And as a documentarian and all the accounts that were coming in, he tried to refund his his uh, pilgrimage again, and and on the second time of trying to get money together and getting just Bob this time and no one else um, because he was missing his Bigfoot shot. And you're right, it does let a lot of credence to, wait a minute, so this guy's looking to do a Bigfoot documentary, he doesn't have his Bigfoot shot, he goes back out again and he gets it? Well, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I offer around all these cases that we do on this show is with just the right amount of disinformation, with just the right amount of, uh, of uh, that type of stuff, that strangeness within each of these stories where, where you just get a little bit enough of like, well, yeah, he actually was doing it. It compels these stories to live into mythos and never... We can never get a, a both full sides grasp cancel on each it. other out. That's no, no, right. no, and 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 one of the and by way by the way one of the episodes he does is he says to both people who are Bigfoot believers and Bigfoot skeptics of mm-hmm. ways they shoot themselves in the foot, mm-hmm. and he mentions God. I'm trying to remember because we were on a long road trip and we were listening to it, but he he basically says to both sides, both of you are shooting yourselves in the foot by being so hardline. Yeah, and 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 that's the. So what I want to I say agree. about about and this goes back to the toxic masculinity yeah. stuff about being an atheist. Being, in other words, uh, mass toxic masculinity aside, sometimes even atheists kind of crumble under their own dogmatic yeah. system as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I and I think that listening to you, that a lot of this stuff for people out there, sometimes I, I mean I'm I'm very with you on a lot of the problems with these tools, but I think for some people relying on faith or relying on a horoscope, that is ultimately a way to get to the self-assuredness and the decisiveness and the responsibility, self-reliance that you're talking about. You're very right. And And, and, and that for them, sometimes that map actually leads them to that place or a place that feels like that place. And I think you're bringing up a great point, which is what I'm talking about there is my spiritual revelation. Mm-hmm. The way, the moment that I felt like, oh my God, I'm an atheist, felt like the way other people describe it when they find Jesus. Yeah, totally. And that's why yeah. spirituality yeah, yeah, yeah. is very, very personal. Yeah. Even when it's not spirituality, and this is important. You know and look, yes. I feel this is, re- I'm fascinated by this, and it's actually really cool to hear because you are somebody that I mean, for me, the proof is in the pudding. You are very successful. You're very self reliant. Like you are a boss. Like you're my boss technically when we work together. Hey, and like, look, it is. I cannot argue with that truth, you know, at all. And it's very encouraging, actually. It 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 makes me think maybe I need to hire the ways in my life where I tend to leave things still 
to faith, you know, that if it's meant to be, it's meant to be kind of attitude, which I think ultimately can lead you into a lot of traps. You yeah, know? Yes. I agree. Also, I just want to acknowledge, though, in that being um, doing the thing that liberal people do in um, muddying our arguments with the nuances of life. But I also want to acknowledge that. Yes. So <laughs> I became an atheist. So, yeah, I became an atheist. I have my own TV show right now. Let's just acknowledge that I was born middle to upper middle class. I was able to attend an East Coast art school with yeah. no student loans yep. like let's just the acknowledging privilege, privilege and yeah. luck is really privilege. really is really like important with all of this stuff because and you and then you see like you know they say religion is the opiate of the masses but if you're born to an extremely horrifying situation what's going to be easier to believe that there's a reason you were born and that this, someone is in the driver's seat yes or oh shit there's not this I'm there was no reason for this. I Chaos. feel like my ability to be a practical atheist theoretical agnostic is comes a little bit from privilege too. And so yeah. it's a very loaded it's a it's a it's it's very loaded and it's very very personal and that's why like I'm not I try not to be super judgy of other and and I've come around to, I I had a couple years where I was very hardline atheist hardline skeptic and now I'm just trying not to do that because it's very personal for people. Yeah. And well, yeah. And you know what's even better is you can leave it open. Yeah. I've always said, I don't need to know the answers. I need to have the question. That's what's important for me. You know what I mean? I, I don't need somebody to concretize uh, what God is for me. You know, I don't need them to tell me that. I, and I don't even need to have the fear base to go, um, you know, well, I have to hold on to something or I'm, or I'm just floating out in the ether. You know, I'm okay with that too. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's so important for all of us, I think, to kind of try and take these journeys and and I, 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 let this be a lesson to our listeners. You can really take control of your life and, and you know, I mean, what get I, somewhere. What you know? I took from Rachel's story is that she listened to a half an episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club and yeah. then two episodes, two episodes of Skeptoids. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, we'll be right back from this break in a minute that's with right. this week's topic of high strangeness. Yes. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Bryce Johnson from Bigfoot Collectors Club. Listen, if you have a paranormal story, we want to hear it. Write to BigfootCollectorsClub at gmail.com with your paranormal encounter, and we just might read it on a future episode. And we're back. It's time for High Strangeness. But first, Rachel wanted to say one last thing. There's one last thing, which is that there's often seen... A, a little war going on between people who believe in the paranormal and, and skeptics and scientists. But what I've learned is that true scientists don't believe they know anything for sure. And the people who most want to find actual real evidence of paranormal stuff are scientists and skeptics. That's the reason skeptics are so fascinated by this in the first place. You know, James Randi, who says that he will pay a million dollars to anyone who can offer scientific proof, proof in a controlled setting for any sort of um, paranormal skill or, or evidence. Like, he, he desperately wants this and wants to find it. So I just want, my point is that my sense of wonder and my sense of wanting this to be real is not diminished by my demand for evidence. It's me just really wanting it to be real and right. hoping that if, if when the real thing comes along, it will go hand in hand with science. Well, well and here's out. what yeah. I was going to, this, 
uh, I think that's really important. And as you were talking in the first segment, I kept thinking, you know, if you saw something that you could not explain, but you you could verify that's exactly what I saw. Now, I don't know what it is, but I saw it like a UFO hover over your head or a ghost. That might really be the next step in that adventure. Maybe, but but I because, don't... Yes. Uh, because as someone <laughs> who thinks more like you do, actually, but has seen one or two things which I can go... I know that's what I saw. I don't know what it is. That, for me, is why I always fall back into trying to figure out and and going, well, I do kind of believe this stuff, or I'm inclined to believe that this person saw something because I've been one of those people that sees something, and the mystery is I don't know what the fuck that thing was, but it blew my mind. What a segue for this, and I'll start it with a quote. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Arthur C. Clarke. And that brings me to my high strangeness story of the week. And Rachel, I think you'll like this one because there's a lot of practicalities involved. And this is the story of Edward Leeds Scalman and his Coral Castle. Are you familiar? No. (laughs) Well, if we can agree to recognize that shooting a rocket to and landing a man on the moon could be considered humanity's all-time greatest collective accomplishment, well, then it stands to argue that Edward Leeds Scalman's rock gate, otherwise known as Coral Castle, Coral Castle, the world's only modern megalithic structure, represents humanity's greatest physical accomplishment by any one man throughout all of recorded history and all of eternity. So says their website. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes referred to as Florida's Stonehenge, the Coral Castle is a magnificent sculpture garden built in stone using only modest tools at the very turn of the century. Located in Leisure City, Florida, Coral Castle is a megalithic limestone structure recognized by the National Register of Historic Places and created by one Latvian-American eccentric, Edward Leeds Scalman. Um, I'll show you some pictures here. The grounds of Coral Castle consist of about 1,100 tons of stones that form walls, carvings, furniture, and includes a 30-ton castle tower. Now, just to show you what 30 tons equal, that's that's a yacht. That's 30 tons. Here's Edward Leeds Scalman's castle tower sitting at 30 tons that he quarried from a coral all by himself and erected all by himself. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Coral Castle is kind of noted for legends surrounding its creation that claim it was built single-handedly by Leeds Scalman using reverse magnetism or supernatural abilities, alien tech, secret esoteric knowledge, or his assumed ability to levitate blocks of stone and move them with their aid of Earth's magnetic energy. So, um, when you know, here's a, here's some pictures I'll show you. This is Ed's Coral Castle, and as you can see, it's it's uh, quite quite. Um, when uh, when when how, uh, so this took, what era is yeah he that's a great from? question so. So basically, um, Ed moved to uh, to the states when he was around twenty. So this was around like nineteen twenty. Okay. Um, and he did spend a time out in the the Pacific Northwest uh, as a logger before moving to Florida for more a modern modern climate. Uh, anyway, uh, when asked why he built the castle, Leeds Scallon would vaguely answer, "It was for his sweet sixteen, supposedly referring to his first true love, Agnes, who left him heartbroken at the altar." And she was only 16. Um, Blah. Uh, yeah. I'm smelling but crazy ex-girlfriend prequels. But no, 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 no. Don't, don't worry. Edward Lee Scallon was a... 
was somebody who liked to use <laughs> codes. So Sweet 16, we find out later. Builds a giant monolith. I built a giant monolith <laughs> with aliens. Uh, you know, come to find out, Sweet that what, what we would find out later that he was referring to his perpetual motion machine. And we are talking about free energy. <gasps> Wait, Agnes what? is his perpetual motion machine? He was going to marry I kind of jumped the, I kind of buried the lead here. But anyway, it gets interesting for me here. Edwards Leedscallon not only left behind a magnificent megalithic structure for us to behold, he also wrote and published five works, four of which all go together. Mineral, Vegetable, and Animal Life, Advertisement, the above reading, and his opus, Magnetic Current. Together, these works embody, uh, are the embodiment of what he called cosmic force. Lead Scalman's universal theory of the individual North and South Pole magnet. That's right. Lead Scalman believed he had discovered a unified field of everything. Now, if you're fami familiar with uh, atomic theory or stuff and the standard model of physics and the, the quantum model of physics, they, they kind of befuddle each other. You know, they don't, there isn't one unified field theory of physics. You know, you've got, you've got the billiards pool table balls that react according to physics as our planets do. But then when you get to the subatomic level, particles are jumping in and out of space. They're, they're disappearing, they're reappearing, and they also have, you know, um, superpositioning. Dark so, energy. Yeah, absolutely. Why is the universe expanding? It goes against well, physics. We don't know. Lead Scalman's universal theory, he believed he discovered the long sought after unipolar north and south pole magnet. Um, Lead Scalman believed that uh, it was the, the prime subatomic carrier of energy. And he set out to disprove the theory of the electron along with what he considered weak foundations of modern atomic theory. And he's right. All of our labs are still looking today for certain particles that can help assemble, the, assemble their model of the standard model of physics. Now, what did you say what this guy's job was? Yes. Yeah, so his father was a stonemason. His grandfather was a stonemason. Okay, so he knew how to work with He knew stone. rock cutting. Yeah, and like I said, he also spent some time out in the Pacific Northwest handling large timber. So he knew weights, pulleys, levers. He knew all that stuff, you know. Um... Now, you know, when they, when they asked the townspeople, you know, how he did this, well, he only worked at night. Nobody ever saw him work. And, you know, some teenagers reported to the local paper, we saw him working one night and the, we saw the blocks move as if they were like a helium balloon, you know? So a lot of them, this mystique has, has been remained, you know, how is he moving these megalithic tons all by himself when i mean is this guy is when is he building it in the well, 30s in, in 1920 he started his feet and and he and he was working it all the way until he died in 51 so okay. he spent 25 years erecting this you know this this rock garden for his his love sweet 16 now let's talk about that what is sweet 16 yeah this is weird yeah so when asked how he built it he he would sometimes often say well you know i know um I know how to work weights, levers, and pulleys, and I also know the secrets of how the pyramids were built, referring to the Great Pyramids of Giza. And, um, and, and when all, he said, well, what kind of tools are you using, Ed? And he said, well, I'm just using normal, normal everyday tools, but what I do have is a perpetual motion holder. Now, what he was talking about is... <laughs> Jacking off. <laughs> well, no, he's talking... <laughs> He's, he's talking about free energy. He's talking about using the Earth's electromagnetic core. And, you know, so basically... He's he, saying he's tapping into the magnetic field of the Earth and moving these things around with a wand or his mind? Well, and, you know, I kind of want to jump the gun here, too, because in 2015, there was a guy, and you'll like this, Rachel. His name was... Uh, I'll like anything that's like a bummer and ruin and magic Well, ruiner. he ruins this. Yeah, but, great. 
It's for, it's for, in some way, not ruins it. He helps. He helps enlighten a lot of what's Rachel, going on. Um, can you wait until we were finished recording before you start listening to Skeptoid? It's a <laughs> rude that you're actually doing it in. Well, the I'm going to do Skeptoid for you. In March 2015, a guy named Scott Russell out of Burlington, Vermont, he posted a video on YouTube entitled "Ed's Coral Castle Quarry and Flywheel Engineering Mystery Solved," and the documentary was registered at the Library of Congress. Um, this guy basically takes Ed's writings. And he goes to recreate exactly everything he made, those lumber tripods to lift the heavy cutting. And, uh, and he basically builds himself a DC perpetual motion machine flywheel. If you see those pictures. What? That, what? Yeah, what? Wait, huh? Oh, this? I see we're getting into free energy, and this is probably a topic that's not easy to crack. Wait, but so what's his perpetual motion if machine? If you look down at that strange machine in the corner, oh, that's yeah. what everybody was wondering about, Wait, right? Wait, that's a machine? So that a, machine? It's not a bulletin board? That machine holds 16... <laughs> Wait. So- Point to oh the machine. God. This? Yes, that machine. Oh. The that's, other thing on the right is a bullet. Oh, that's, yeah. And that's called like his a cog. perpetual oh, motion yeah, flywheel. Yeah. And in oh, that, it looks he looks like held, a big crank or a cog. Well, he held 16 north-south pole magnets and put a, um, you know, a, sto- a stodar, which is basically a starter to get that thing rolling. And with copper wire attracted to a, 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 a sitting magnet block, this thing just starts, you know, with it, the power of magnets starts going and going and going. With that, he was able to create electric current. And he was able to provide power for his workstations at night, and so basically, this is all pre pre World so this War One. Energizing his pulley system. Yeah, that's right. This guy was able to build out of a uh, perpetual motion machine, um, basically a saw, and, and just on a little wheel. And you'll look and on the door of his coral castle. Wait, is it a perpetual motion machine, or is it is it because there's no actual perpetual motion machine that's ever been built? Sure, he's claiming he did it. No, he did, and there are he's there are he, perpetual he, motion. This machines. is this is the whole thing. Is this old timer free energy is claiming that he did create a perpetual yeah. motion machine that he then used as an engine to Nikola, build Nikola Tesla, the system that lifted all these rocks. N- Nikola Tesla went off of some of his work and 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 took some of his patents to develop his own DC motor uh, perpetual motions machine. Here's so, where I get into where I, I don't know enough to, to... Well, and I don't either, Rachel. I just kind of, yeah. you know, I've, I've been We're familiar with this story. story for a long time, but okay. as the more I sink into it, I was like, what really became interesting to me was that um, Ed felt that, like, our modern field of physics were going off on the wrong venture. They're like, they're looking for electrons. They're looking for protons. And, and as scientists, as, as you go through the, the, how this all kind of assembles together in atomic theory, people are like befuddling their way through this. They're like, we think there might be uh, some electrons outside the nuclei. And, and they're still kind I of, I like these hillbilly. Yeah, I like, the, <laughs> I like these hillbilly <laughs> physicists, hillbilly physicists. That's a great show. So how did this guy ruin, the mystery behind this how did the the dude in- well you know he basically did he build this machine he, he didn't well he built he built the perpetual motion machine yes he did and he was able to provide power uh to his workstation at night which is which is why ed worked at night he was able to work next to light he had a, an electric camp set up you know to where once this generator was providing electric current boom he hooked it up to his generator and he provided a working light station not only that but machinery so how did that so the machines lifted the rocks then the machines not just lifted the rocks they cut the rocks so he called he would say my sweet 16 is just you know working away and and it that's was what he named the machine that was what he named it was 16 his machine. magnets 16 ma- it was a it was a 16 volt dc battery Why that did you not exist say that? because he was a co- he was interested in code also and- he's clearly an eccentric well that's right he's an eccentric you know Ugh, and eccentrics. um 
and listen, an this is also at a time when 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 this kind of energy was like you know. Um, people were putting the cap on this type of stuff, you know? Anyway. You mean corporations and industries? Well, yeah. I the mean, Rockefellers. Yeah, the absolutely. The Carnegie Mellons. Um, so, but what, where it got really interesting for me is when, uh, when yeah, when, you, when, he, when he started to think that, uh, you know, he explained it like this. And, and, he, and it gets into spirituality, too. He says, I can take a magnet, right, with the South and the North Pole, and I can, I can put the zinc in the magnet. And when it burns through the zinc... The zinc is gone, the magnets are gone, but the North and South Poles are still there. They do not disappear, you cannot destroy them, and I can take those poles and I can use them in another magnet. His theory is that we're the same. Our Earth has a North and South Pole magnet. We have a North and South Pole magnet. And, you know, this is the prime carrier of force. You know, our physics thinks it's... uh, you know, um, some sort of catalyst like the photon um, causing this, but he believed they had it all wrong. Now, this one guy that did make this YouTube video, he was able to create this perpetual motion machine, and he figured out a lot of Ed's tricks. He never did erect a 30-ton statue and get it erect. So, I I mean... What did he do? Well, he, he basically built that perpetual motion machine, and he built a cutter, um, oh, you're saying Ed did it? The the this dude well, you know, did yeah, it. no, this dude, this dude built all of Ed's equipment, but he never created a right. rock garden. He never recreated. He the never recreated castle. A, yeah, the the castle. I mean, mm, nobody has. Really? Into this guy. And he says his magnets are running out. Doesn't that defeat? Isn't the, the idea of a perpetual motion machine? You don't. It, it's energy that never runs out, that you don't have to Yeah, I was talking, about, I was talking battery, about a battery. The, once right? the battery dies out, the machine still go. Based but if on you're just the, talking about magnets in that flywheel. They just go and they go and they go, mm-hmm. right? There's, There's no, no energy being lost. There. There's no battery. You know, you're just connecting it to an electrical current. But no, no, no. But the electrical current comes from somewhere. The electrical current comes from the generator, the flywheel. That's right. Wait, what? It, it, it's hard to understand. I, 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 I get it. <laughs> Listen, without radio, you cannot get a radio wave without electricity. You cannot get electricity without a generator. Right. He created his own generator and his own magnetic flywheel to cre- to pull cosmic energy from the Earth's north and south poles, and to and use then them create power with and that. to create power. And uh, instead of using just, a battery, just to jump in here real quick, yes. you create power by spinning a magnet around copper or vice versa. So that's what the generator is there. If the the wheel is spinning and then spinning the magnets around copper generates an electrical current that gets stored in a battery. Thank you, Riley. That was very well put. That's we should exactly just talk right. to Riley. So, oh, this is Dr. Riley. Now. Yes. But, you know, what, what taps on this, this whole thing for me, too, is like, you know, and after, after Leeds Scallon came Nikola Tesla, who was focused on giving the world free energy, and he had the know-with-all to do it, you know, and it wasn't until Edison came and said, hey, you want to give away power for free? What are you, crazy? We should be charging for this, you know? So I guess what I wanted to say with this story was, you know, um... I don't know what I wanted to say. I was I was hoping to talk to you about Core Castle. I had no idea. Talk about the castle. I had no idea. Lead Scallon had a, a unified uh, field theory of everything. Right. It's so very the, Tim Burton esque. It's yeah. beautiful. So it's like this weird Garden of Eden that's made out of stone. Not well, to be confused with the yeah. Garden of Eden and we're always asking ourselves how the cement. pyramids were built, you know. And what he uses is is part practicality and 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 part of a little um, what do you call when a magician uh, sleight of hand, you right? Know? So there's a very practical answer to how this is done, but what I'm more interested in, what was, what was he on on the other side in his writings? I mean, he was fascinated by the South Pole, the North Pole magnet, and he believed that was the carrier of force, not the photon. Was, was he married? 
He was not married. He was left at the altar. Um, oh, he was. And, he never yes, remarried. In, in Russian Latvia, that's right. And then he moved to the states, where he he never remarried. He died at fifty-one, alone, working on on his on his coral castle. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, mm. we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna ask Rachel, "What the hell is that?" Yes. What the hell was that? I myself don't know. Hey guys, Bryce Johnson here. Each week, we post exclusive photos with our guests and great visual aids on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and on Facebook and Twitter at Bigfoot underscore C Club. Check them out. You don't want to miss them. Thanks for listening. Okay, Rachel, we're back. And this is the time of the show where we ask you, what the hell was that? What is this? What's going on here? What's your? What's How your is he able to move a thirty-ton block all by himself? He's a hundred-foot. He's a hundred-pound man. How did five he feet build tall. this giant monolith castle park? Sounds like the guy solved it, right? By by making that magnet machine that that lifted the things with the things. Now I'm confused because I thought that a perpetual motion machine was said to be. Only Either myth. scientifically impossible or, or not invented yet, but here's here's where we get into me being an opposite all this shit. Mm-hmm. So, so I, but it sounds like that guy proved the way he did it. There's well, a, right? there's, this is why it's counterculture a... because you're right. We're we've been taught and told that a perpetual motion machine has not been invented yet. Yeah. And this story, this guy claims to have done it in the 1920s. But then this guy built. Are you saying this guy then built that same perpetual motion machine and it's still running today? Yes, you can watch it on YouTube. Okay. Abs- in fact, we'll put the link up and I highly recommend we'll it. put it in our show notes if um, you click on our wait, the podcast. Fa- and it's here's, generating here's, its own electricity. That's right. Here's probably where you're getting mixed up. You're saying if we have a perpetual motion machine, why aren't we using it today? Well, a lot of these models that these you know garage scientists are building, they don't have a lot of output to them you know, because the scientific community has not funded the backing research to get this to their output up. Because right? the power, the utility companies want to keep running on the old system because these, that's how they make money. These are garage mechanics working, on, and there's, there's a few of them out there today working on free energy. It's, it's a great... Great topic of uh, of inquiry, and uh, basically, um, yeah, you can build a free perpetual motion machine. People have done it, and then it's on YouTube. You can see them. It's work. just not outputting. It's a just ton not of outputting a ton of mm-hmm. energy. So, so we haven't like got to like you know, hey, well, it won't fuel our rockets, but you know, God, I mean, we've only been just toying with this kind of energy. Um, but this guy claims to have built one that helped him erect. Not this only that, he, he, he and cut the with rock his and with all. his fascination. It was of, the generator for all. Yes, this. he he believed he believed he really tapped into some sort of universal force that not only stood in his coral rocks, but that stood on the planets, that stood in the subatomic particle, but that also stood in us, and that we are really controlled by a dualistic force, one that is positive, white, and one that is negative. Black um, and with the that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> and with an achieved balance, I mean, there you have dualism. Here's what I'll say: I think that a lot of problems in society are caused by people uh, answering questions because their gut says something where they actually shouldn't be speaking with authority on that thing. So I'm just gonna say, okay, cool. <laughs> because right. I don't know. Right. Right. Cool. Well, we're also you are allowed to use your imagination on well, the Well, and show. I feel this like is, that schmuck, is, Rachel. I feel like a guy we, who's like, I can't I can't uncover what the hell well, I'm no, trying and to do. I, I think it, I think sometimes it's difficult when we start because I even find this in my research for the show. 
it is very easy on a lot of these topics to go down weird, weird yes. wormholes. Yeah. And I mean, there's stuff that I'll see that I throw out. I'm like, I this is like going down a whole other avenue. Yeah. There's an episode uh, when I was researching the Solway Firth Spaceman. I, there was a whole other route that's like, this is actually a reptilian. And here are the ancient artifacts that show what reptilians look like. Now, if you look at this from this angle yeah. and you color correct it and you do this here's what the drawing of the front of the solway for yep. man would look like and it's a reptilian and this is what and you know it's what, so true basically we're not the point of this podcast is not to be the authority on any of this stuff mm-hmm. this is just taking things that are weird and using our imagination and doing a little research and going look at this cool story look at this cool concept what do you think this is this stuff exists because there's no answer out well, there. And, you know, and more so, put your attention to it. It provides mystery. You know what I mean? So many of our great thinkers have said, hey, you know, you can, you can, you can find spiritual catharsis a few ways, whether it's drum beats, whether it's prayer, um, drugs, hallucinogens. But some people also said, hey, just put your attention on something, and that can mystify it as well. So when we're paying attention to these stories like Edley Scallon and Coral Castle and Solway Firth, we're... We are uh, we are addressing the mystery. Yeah, we're I not think, solving it. I, you know, I think this guy sounds to me like a um, uh, was obviously tapping into the scientific discussions at the time. Had a background in masonry from his father and grandfather. Yep. Was a bit of an eccentric. Was an immigrant and probably felt like an outsider. Had was a was uh, had a broken heart. And I think this is an it, this is a example the Coral Castle an example of um, the perfect cross section of uh, engineering, uh, scientific thinking, and mysticism. And I think this guy was an entertainer. I think he built something that's very entertaining. I think you're right. And I think he had a little bit of that showman in him that was like, "Hey, I figured out how to do this. I used this thing that created a engine, a battery, or a, a generator." And help me erect all these statues. Uh, but if you want to think I use the power of my mind to do this, that puts asses in the seats, and that's real fun to think about too. Yeah, it just captures the imagination. It really in does. Many I ways, mean, it's a modern megalithic structure mo- in Florida. Right. I, if you ask me, <laughs> yeah. he probably just did it using old-fashioned pulley systems. Yeah, and maybe that generator did or didn't work, or di- he got it to move, but it didn't actually lift or cut any of these rocks. But that's not important. The important thing is who cares how he did it. The fact it exists is a cool thing. I think so, Mike. And it's fun to think about. And ultimately, it's a work of art. And motivated to try to get... The People girl, the attention of the girl who left him, <laughs> right? Which is what this it really brings sounds us back like. To our if he's, if he's calling it like Sweet Sixteen, and it's sixteen magnets, but that's also the age of the girl that the girl was when she left him at the altar. He's literally doing this just to make her regret leaving him, or or to <laughs> unpack his broken heart. Yeah. Or both. Or maybe there yeah. was no there was no girl that left him at the altar. Some sources say that, that his old story. girlfriend back in Latvia wasn't it was named Helena. So there was no Agnes. His sweet sixteen mm. was his device of free energy. That was his baby. Yeah, because when he's sitting there smoking his pipe, that machine is cutting through the coral with a wheel and pulley and doing all the work for him. I also think about how this is a time before television. That's right. And people had to I mean, it's it actually it's it's like you had to entertain yourself, and this is when you really had time to have eccentricism and uninterrupted genius 
just get to work on a project. And if you're, I think that's if you're a bit is, of an oddball yeah. and you're not married and you have a lot of time to kill and you have background in masonry and you have an interest in, in perpetual motion machines, you're going to build an endless project. Well, you're going to start an endless project. Well, and an incredible knowledge of wheels, axles, pulleys, ramps, yeah. and wedges. Yeah. I will. Here's what I can say with almost certainty. I think he fucked the machine at least once. <laughs> I would agree with you on that. Yeah. All right. That's a perfect time to uh, close this segment out. When we come back, we're going to have our uh, we're going to have a little chat about collecting and say goodbye to our guest, Rachel Bloom. Aw. No. Hey, guys, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bigfoot Collectors Club and on Twitter at Bigfoot underscore C Club. Uh, Bigfoot Collectors Club. It's time for Collectors Corner. It is the Collectors Club, Rachel. So we ask our guest, did you ever collect anything? Or do you collect anything? As a kid, I collected rocks. Okay. Minerals. I, I inherited my father's um, coin collection. Oh, wow. Which I sometimes add to. What is the coolest coin in the collection? Um, well, my, you know, something, this is more just like cool money. Um, Michael Hitchcock, who who writes on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, has done a couple USO tours, and he brought me back some money from Iraq when Saddam Hussein was in power. So it's money with Saddam Whoa. Hussein. Oh, so that's, that's cool. wild. Um, You're really into dictators. Yeah. You collect dictators. I guess I collect... <laughs> oh, in just talking about Hitler and Saddam. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I... You know... It's the type of thing where, like, work is so busy. <laughs> yeah. Like, my husband collects tiny wooden turtles. There you go. Everywhere, what is that? Everywhere we are, he finds tiny, he collects, like, actually not necessarily wood, just, like, tiny turtle figurines. He's really into it. That's wild. And you like Tyrannosaurus Rexes. I do. You're a dinosaur fan. I don't, it's not a collector, I am a, but. Yeah, no, I'm a dinosaur fan, and and we will get both buy dinosaur related things and people will gift them to us. Right. You know, ultimately I like collecting stories. Yeah. That's what we're doing here. And and collecting people's different points of view. And the place that I store the collections is in my own mind. And unfortunately the collection will get lost the moment I die. Well, that's why we're making a podcast. Hey. Stories are the really at the heart of the collection of the Bigfoot Club. That's right. I'm trying to think what else. That's that's a great. That's yeah. enough. Yeah. Bryce, did you bring something to share with the class? No, today? I think I think you're up. Today. Oh yeah, that's right. It's me. <laughs> uh, this was actually a gift from a I'm... friend and a listener of the show, uh, Lindsay. If you're listening, this is a shout out to you and a thanks. Oh, I put it in my little uh, notebook. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, been on a road trip. You were just in the Southwest recently. Maybe mm-hmm. you stopped at a certain place and picked up the latest copy of Desert Oracle. Oh, wow. Which is this really cool uh, little zine that's still published quarterly throughout the American Southwest. That, uh, this is actually oh from 2015 because there is a is creature so cool. in this issue that Lindsay has suggested we do for a future episode, and I will. Okay, great. Um, but they have stories about the Southwest. They have stories about <laughs> hauntings and UFO landings. It's just a cool little book that I've picked up. Actually, I picked up a copy uh, a couple of years ago when David Keith and I, W. Dave Keith, um, from episode uh, seven, were driving past Area 51, and we stopped at the Little wow. Alien 
and I picked up a copy there. And it's just a cool little this is really publication neat. about the about weird stuff that's kind of one of the last living little. And zines. as I turn up to the page, this excessively realistic baby doll was dumped on a sandy road on the edge of Twenty Nine Palms, and it's a picture of just a baby doll on the road. Yeah, it's this, great. Which means I want to read this book. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. You can subscribe to it. That's awesome. Yeah. So that is cool. check out the uh, Desert Oracle. Well, Rachel, this was so fun to talk to you about all this stuff. I mean, it was a really uh, deep in, episode. This is a deep episode. Yeah, yeah but we I, needed yeah. that. It was know? really fun, and I and I guess I just want to say. I'm really open to new information, new experiences. I'm open to changing my mind about any of this. So if any spirits or aliens are listening to this and are like, I think I can convince her. Well, the coolest thing, too, uh, what I love about this is that knowing you, and if you watch the show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it's very clear that you are one of the most open-minded people I actually think I know. Um, you represent a lot of voices on the show that are not represented in many other places. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I think that your open-mindedness is inherent in everything that you do as an actor and an artist. So, thank you. Oh, may that go forward through the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, when is uh, this? Is um, the first week of February? Um, we're switching things up a little bit, as I described at the beginning of this episode, uh, or in last week's, but, uh, when is the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend finale? Well, if you've been watching the season, the season finale is February 16th, um, episode 13. You can catch up on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I'm proud to say remains the lowest rated network television show. No. Um, hey, our numbers are up, right? I just saw our like one of the hottest up. new shows to watch. It was an article or it's, something. Well, it's, it's, it's on all the top 10 lists. Yeah. It's on all the top 10 lists. It's this critically acclaimed, show. low rated, but it's on a network, so it gets a lot of spotlight for its low ratings. But Do I you know anybody say, with a Nielsen's rating box? I don't. Again, Thank you. I don't know how it works. <laughs> Enough said. The point is, um, if you want to catch up, the first two seasons are on Netflix. The third season depending on what country you're on, is all over. <laughs> yeah. You can and we'll watch be up it. on Netflix soon. We'll be up on Netflix soon. You can watch it Catch for up. free on CWTV. You can watch or it. tune in and watch the finale or live. See if you like it. the show. Yes. You I can don't come in anytime know you if want. I recommend... Well... Well, come on. Actually, <laughs> we were specifically putting Rachel, together... I'm trying to Sorry. promote the show. But I will say we were specifically... I'm to these numbers by now, 20 people. Sh- <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be amazing. Uh, we specifically were putting together the previously on for the finale... And sometimes when we're watching the previously on, I say, listen, if you're not watching the show, f- <laughs> fuck you. I'm not going to include everything in this previously on. Just like, fuck you. Well, I will be on the finale unless I've been edited out. So, no, you um, Great. So you can see and you me have on the finale a as well. particularly great moment not to give anything away. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's one of my f- possibly most proud on-screen moments. Really? I definitely got to check something off the box. Oh. Something I haven't ever <laughs> been able to do on screen before. Great. I'm say very that. interested now. Now you have to tune in. Yeah. Uh, please uh, write in with your own personal stories at BigfootCollectorsClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. Always check our show notes for cool links pertaining to this uh, episode or any given episode. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Instagrams, all that. Bryce, you can find you at Mr. Bryce Johnson. At, yes. Uh, Instagram, Riley Bray. Uh, what is our sound engineer? Thank you. What is your... Uh, at... Trash bag hashtag. Bad trash bag hashtag. Rachel, how can people find you? Well, what I'm thinking about right now, really quickly, is something. If there are any psychics listening and want to prove that they're psychic to me, I'm thinking of like a fact about myself only I know 
that if you want to like blow my mind, um, but take I take a moment, the Houdini send, test, take a moment, think of it <laughs> and psychics or listeners. If you want to take a stab, tweet at Rachel, when you hear this episode, tag us Bigfoot underscore C club and tweet at Rachel and tell us what she's thinking of right now. Okay. I'm thinking of it. Um, it was, should I give a hint as to what nope. it is? Tiny hint? Tiny Well, hint. it's, okay. It's uh, the word that, because I was a kid in the 90s and we were supposed to like have a secret word with our parents. Yeah. So if a stranger picked you up from school. The code word. The code word. I'm thinking of our parent code word, which I. How many strangers picked you up from school? So fucking. <laughs> you and no, Kevin just, Kirkpatrick had a similar We need to get a code word. There's just this. too I'm many just, people I'm are thinking, picking you I'm up. Right, I am, okay, I'm visualizing the code word. <laughs> And if you know it, email me. You can't email me like a tweet, list of 20 words. Tweet, tweet, uh, Yeah, I'm just sometimes bad about checking. Well, tweet at us. Tweet at them. Tweet at And it can only Club. be one. Just It can only be that one word. And tag if, at Rachel does. I will only believe you if at most it's like a list of three. Yeah. Ah, that's okay, great. She'll great. write it down for us. All right. Uh, until next week. I'm not writing week. it down for you. Oh. <laughs> until next week, this is Michael McMillan and your other co-host. Bryce Johnson. And thank you so much to our guest today, our very special guest, Rachel Bloom. Thank you to Riley Bray for our sound. And thank you, as always, to the band Sun Eaters for our music from the song Come Alone, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. We will see you next week. See ya. Goodbye, Rachel. Bye, Rachel. (laughs) Radio jokes. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.